is in Portland, Oregon at the moment with John Mark Comer at a conference. Very exciting. And uh, John Mark has been a huge blessing to us, his teaching, his theology, his heart, and really helped shape a lot of the values we've got here at Bay Vineyard. So for Sam to get to go there and spend time with him is just awesome. Very excited. But it's been a very intense couple of days for me because uh, when Sam goes away, it's always slightly more intense because, you know, one half of the equation is missing. And, you know, Sam doesn't look very helpful, but actually he is. He's helpful around the house. He's very good at, you know, unstacking the dishwasher. He's good at helping with the school lunches. We do the school lunches together. It's a real team effort. So he, he's been gone, which is hard. And my mum's gone into hospital. She was rushed, rushed to hospital, has just had a major surgery. I've had very little sleep. I'm feeling a little frazzled. And so it's been intense. And I have so appreciated those of you who have been carrying me in prayer the last couple of days. I have felt sustained. So although I've had very little sleep, I have felt full of energy. And so I'm super grateful. Chrissy this morning has just offered to pray for my mum before we start. So I'd love to just invite her to come and we can just join together and pray. Thank you, Chrissy. Hi, everyone. I've got a bit of a blocked ear, so hopefully I'm not shouting or not too quiet. <laughs> um, just want to pray for Nan. Father, we just really do lift Nan before you this morning, Lord. Father, as she has had this operation and as she recovers, we want to pray for complete healing for her, Lord. Father, even before she had this, Lord, she was in pain in her body. And Father, we just want to pray this morning that in that hospital bed, that you'll come and reach out to her, that you will bring peace into her spirit and into her body. Father, that you'll bring healing into every part of her body. You're a good God. And you're a powerful God, and you love her so very much. And we all here love her too, Lord. And we just pray this right now in Jesus' name that you would come, that you, she will recover completely from this operation, that she will recover completely from the pain in her body, Father, so that she can come back and join us here again. And we do pray this in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we just want to bring Jen and the children before you this morning, Father, as well. Lord, why these things happen when husbands go away, we don't know. But, Father, we just want to pray, Lord, that this was pretty major for Jen with her mum. And I want to pray this morning, Lord, that you will just rest upon her with your spirit. That peace will come from the memories of the last day or two, Father. That peace will come and your spirit will just move through her this morning as she brings your word to us, Father. Lord, protect her in this coming week with her and the boys, Lord, that everything that they will need will be provided, Father, that you will speak to people and all of a sudden someone will be there with whatever she needs. Father, thank you that we have full assurance of this, Lord, that you're watching out for us and you are watching out for her and the boys this week. We thank you and we give you praise and we give you honour and we give you glory for what you're going to do, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Chrissy is Amelia's mum, if you haven't joined the dots. Amelia was leading us in worship this morning and on the keyboard, so 
If you haven't met her, go say hello at the end of the service. So if you've been tracking with us for the last six weeks, we have been talking about how important it is to recognize and normalize the daily fight we're in. Now, I'm not talking about a fight with the person next to you, a person with different views or from a different culture or someone from a different faith. Those are the people that we're actually called to love. But I'm talking about the spiritual fight that our souls are in with the world, the flesh, and the devil. We've been doing a series based on the book by John Mark Comer, Live No Lies. It is an absolutely brilliant book if you haven't read it. And he's talking about this fight, the world, the flesh, and the devil. So I just want to put some giant quote marks around everything I'm going to say this morning. All the really good, profound stuff, I want you to just credit it to John Mark Comer, okay? And if you have missed out on some of the series, then I would highly recommend you go back and listen. It's fantastic. The big idea here is that when, when Jesus calls the devil the father of lies, he's not kidding. That the enemy's main weapon is planting deceptive ideas in our head and in our hearts. And then these ideas play to our disordered desires, which Jesus calls the flesh. And they're normalized in the broken society around us, which Jesus calls the world. Jesus talks in great length in the scriptures about this trifecta, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And he teaches us spiritual practices we can use as, as a weapon to protect our soul. But it's not enough just to know about the spiritual practices. And that's what we've been talking about in previous weeks. You've got to apply the spiritual practices. We've got to put them into practice, live them out so that we can see transformation. So so if you missed that, go back and catch up. If we look at the life of Jesus, he knew that his enemy wasn't the Roman Empire. It wasn't the Pharisees. It wasn't even the people that nailed him to the cross. He knew his enemy was the world, the flesh, and the devil. Jesus doesn't teach us the way of violence. He, he teaches us that the victory is won but with truth embodied in self-sacrificial love. Jesus didn't shed blood, but instead he went to the cross peacefully and his blood was shed for the very people that crucified him. 2,000 years ago, Jesus called his disciples not to pick up a sword and choose violence, but to pick up a cross to follow him and to die. And that is the same thing that he's inviting us to this morning. Luke 9.23 includes his most common invitation. He says this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. The cross is a symbol of death. So he's basically saying, come and die and follow me into life. For many of Jesus' first disciples, this was a literal call to death. They were martyred for their faith. And we have Christian brothers and sisters in different places in the world that are dying for their faith today and being persecuted. There's horrific stuff going on. But for most of us here in the West, it's not something that we need to worry about, thankfully. So Jesus' invitation to us isn't a literal call to death, but it is a call to self-denial. If we want to be his disciples, if we want to be with him, become like him and do what he did, then we are called to self-denial. This concept is so foreign in our culture because everything that we talk about and think about is self-fulfillment. It's about getting what we want when we want it. The closest thing that we probably have to self-denial is the health and fitness industry. We might say no to Burger King 
Some of us do better than that than others. And we might say yes to getting up in the morning early, putting on our stretchy pants, going to the gym, working out, feeling fit. But that really is still a road to self-fulfillment because we do that so that we can feel good, so that we can look great. Most of us, me included, cannot imagine a version of the good life that doesn't involve getting what we want when we want it. Dallas Willard says this, self-denial is the overall settled condition of life in the kingdom of God. In this and this alone lies the key to the soul's restoration. Christian spiritual foundation rests on this. This is the foundation for all the other stuff. If you want to really live, then first you have to die. So when Jesus says, deny yourself, what is he really talking about? John Mark explains he's not talking about denying our inner essence. He's not talking about denying who God created us to be or our personality. He's not talking about denying ourselves a good night's sleep or not having breakfast in the morning if we're hungry. We got to remember that as a whole, we are created by a good God and he loves and adores us. So keep that framework for all the rest. The self that Jesus calls us to deny is the flesh. It's our disordered desires. And the self is where these three enemies all come together. We've got the deceptive ideas on one side. We've got the world on the other side. And then they join forces in the middle with the disordered desires to wage war against our souls. The world that we live in puts desire into one category and one category alone. If we follow our desire... It leads us to happiness. But Paul and the New Testament writers put desire in two different categories. We read in Galatians 5.16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. So Paul's putting desire in two different categories. The flesh, that's desire that's focused on self-gratification, getting what we want when we want it. And the Spirit, that's desire focused on love. That's desire focused on putting others' needs ahead of our own. He explains in verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. Now, some of those might seem a little way out, orgies and the like. But, you know, if you go back one, you've got envy which is probably something we can all relate to. But then in verse 22, it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When Jesus invites us to deny ourselves, he's calling us to crucify the desires of the flesh so we can live out the desires of the Spirit the desires given by his spirit. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Well, we know that Paul hasn't been literally crucified because he's writing this. He's writing this from prison, but we can see that he has actually learned to die to the flesh so that he's come more and more to life because his letters, these are the epistles in the Bible, he's writing from prison a dirty, scary, 
oppressive prison cell, but his letters are filled with such vibrancy and such passion. He is alive in the spirit. He's crucified the desires of the flesh. They would be desires for comfort, desires for food, desires for safety. He's put those to death. And so he's having a good time in there, would you believe? He's got the joy of the Lord. We read about the fact that he's singing songs of praise and worship in prison. It's extraordinary. This call to crucify the flesh is at the core of the apprenticeship to Jesus. It's at the very heart. It is the entry point to living the full life that Jesus offers. Everything comes down to this. It's what life as a Christian is all about. When we invite God into our heart, this is actually what we sign up for. When we get baptized, this is what we sign up for. Legend has it that the Knights Templar, before they went into battle in the Crusades, they would be baptized in full armor. And so as they were going down under the water, they would hold their sword out of the water as if to say, God, you can have all of me except this part. This part that's bringing violence and injustice, you can't have that part. I'm not giving that to you. And that seems ridiculous to us, but we do that sort of stuff all the time. We may just not be as honest or as self-aware. Imagine if we had full disclosure, totally honest baptisms. Sam would say, okay, guys, come on forward. Who's getting baptized today? We're going to pray the prayer. We're going to dunk you underwater. But before we do, remember to take out anything you don't want to give to God and just hold it out of the water. And someone might hold out their cell phone. Someone may hold out their shopping list, maybe their work schedule, maybe a picture of a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It's very easy to say to God, you can have most of my life, just not this part or that part, because I, I, I kind of need to keep hold of that part in order to be happy. But that is just not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is a rhythm of death, burial, and then resurrection. It wasn't just for Jesus. That's the pattern we all follow as his disciples, as his apprentices. It's for every one of us. If we come back to the words of Jesus in Luke, in the original passage, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Well, we discover that this invitation is in all four gospels because it is so central to the life of Jesus. And the reason that we're looking at it in Luke, this is my favorite translation, because he puts in this one word that is so key and imperative to our understanding. And that word is daily. Pick up your cross daily. So it doesn't just happen one time. If it happened one time, it would be very simple. It's much more complicated than that. The self-denial that we're called to, this crucifying of the flesh, happens daily. It requires perseverance and depth of character. It's a daily death to all sorts of things. John Mark says to say yes to Jesus' invitation is to say no to a thousand other things. As the monks used to say, every choice is a renunciation. To say yes to Jesus is to say no to living by my own definition of good and evil, to spending my time and money however I want, to the hyper-individualism, anti-authoritarianism, and full-tilt hedonistic pursuit of our day. It's a thousand tiny deaths that all lead up to one massive life. It's not a futile grasping for control, but the freedom of yielding to love. It's saying to Jesus, whatever, wherever, whenever, I'm yours. Hands up if you feel like dying a thousand deaths today. 
Anyone? Thank you. I see one hand. One hand. You know, that doesn't sound like fun, and it's probably not what we thought we were signing up for when we got out of bed this morning to come to church. But here's the key. It all leads to one massive life. Jesus went to the cross, but he didn't stay there. He was resurrected. So likewise, he calls us to crucify the flesh, crucify our disordered desires so we can come to life in him, so we can find fullness of life. He doesn't call us to just stay in a place of death. If we go back to the passage in the very next verse, he says this. This is Luke 9, 24. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me in the gospel will save it. The word life here can also be translated as soul. So he's saying our decisions have a trajectory for our soul. This is a statement he's making. It's not a command. He's not saying you could lose your soul or you could save it. Not sure. He's saying you will. It's just, it's reality. It's just a fact. You will lose your soul or you'll save it. And he's saying we've got two choices. Option one is you deny Jesus. You follow yourself. You put desire on the throne in your life. So you're serving your desire. Your main motivation and aim is life and life is just to get what you want. Or option two is you deny yourself, you follow Jesus. So you crucify the desires of the flesh and you tap into that deeper desire you have for God himself. And it results in either losing your life or saving your life. We've got to weigh up the cost of discipleship. It does cost to follow Jesus. Anyone that says it doesn't is lying. It costs. But you've got to weigh up the cost with the cost of not following Jesus because it has a trajectory for our soul. If we deny Jesus and we follow our own wants, we become slave to our wants and we can just never get enough. We always want more, whether that's substance abuse, whether it's work success, whether it's finding more and more interesting things to look at on the internet, whether it's watching our weight go down and down and down on the scales as we get fitter and fitter, whether it's getting more social media followers, whatever it is, if our happiness depends on it, it's slavery. But if we deny ourselves and follow Jesus, we become free from the power of want. And isn't freedom what we want? That's the pursuit. We find contentment in him in our lives. We're not free from desire completely. Not at all. But it comes under God. It's in its rightful place. And then we end up free from needing to get what we want all the time in order to be happy. Then our normal life is enough. Our relationship is enough. Our body is enough. We get to that place by dethroning selfish desire and finding satisfaction in our relationship with God. John Mark asks the following questions in his book, and I'd love you just to sit with these as I read them and see if any of them resonate. Are you willing to trade long-term happiness for short-term pleasure? Are you willing to trade God's mental maps to reality for freedom from authority? Are you willing to trade love for a fleeting sexual encounter? Are you willing to trade contentment with what you have for that feeling of buying a shiny new thing? Are you willing to trade the cumulative compound interest of blessing and reward accrued over decades of fidelity to Jesus and his way for the easy out of quitting when you hit a rough patch?
The flesh wants self-gratification. But the Spirit, God's Spirit in us, wants to love. The flesh wants to put what we want first, what we want when we want it. But the Spirit, God's Spirit in us, wants us to put others first. The lifelong journey of being a follower of Jesus is becoming the type of person that chooses love, that is motivated by love. We're in a constant tension all the time. It's a constant fight. I had one of these moments on the way to church this morning. So I wake up this morning. I communicate gently to my beautiful children. I'm feeling right on the verge of, you know, a donkey on the edge. It's just like there's been so much going on. I haven't slept. Can we all just leave the house peacefully this morning? Can we just do that? That's all I ask. So can we? And they, yes, we can. It's great. Awesome. But then the poop hit the fan because someone had misplaced someone else's toy. And so everyone got very, very cross. And my patience levels are very, very low. So I might have joined in some of the crossness. So then on the way to church in the car, I may have done a little rant. I'm very, very good at them. If you want to line up your children, tell me what you want me to say. In fact, Pip's nodding at me right now because I have actually ranted at her son. I'm so sorry. And then rung her and rung her and said, I'm so sorry. I've said this to him. But, you know, this is one of my gifts, I suppose, ranting at children. But here's the thing. We're in the car and I'm fuming trying to find the peace of the Lord. I'm just fuming. And then we do this thing that I invented, which I just love. If you want to pick this up and fly with it, I would love you to. If you're in the car and everyone's cross, which happens, you know, quite often, you can start this. You can say, this is the day. And everyone has to echo, this is the day that the Lord has made. And we go and we go and we go. Now, you guys, some of you are looking at me shaking your head. Sam is also in that court where he's not quite sure about this whole thing. But the boys and me are totally on board with it. So this morning as I was sitting there just feeling deflated, I hear this little voice. It's like, Mum, shall we do this is the day? And here is the moment of tension because I'm not in a place for this is the day, okay? And the flesh in me wants to punish them a little, you know? I I want some revenge because I'm feeling pretty irritated. But the spirit in me, God's spirit in me wants love and reconciliation. And praise the Lord, there was more of the spirit in me. So I say, yes, Great idea. And we start off the song and we sing the song and I feel something shift. And at the end of the song, I'm actually in a good mood again. I don't know what happens, how it happens that quickly, but it does. And I ask the boys, do you guys feel better? And they're kind of like, yeah, kind of. And so, and then, and it's gone, it's over and we just move on with our day. But we're in this constant tension all the time. It's a battle, the flesh or the spirit, the flesh or the spirit. Sky Jathani in his book, The Divine Commodity, says this. My secret is that I want to be relevant and popular. I want my desires fulfilled and pain minimalized. I want a manageable relationship with an institution rather than a messy relationship with real people. 
I want to be transformed into the image of Christ by turning up at entertaining events rather than the hard work of discipline. I want to wear my faith on my sleeve and not look at the darkness in my heart. And above all, I want a controllable God. I want a divine commodity to do my will on earth as it is in heaven. That guy is messed up, obviously. But the truth is we can all relate. We can all relate. Some of us might weigh this stuff up and we come to the conclusion that, yeah, God's way is the best way. But it doesn't mean that we're not scared to crucify our desires because we're scared that we might lose someone or something that we're clinging to for our happiness. And we've bought into the lie that if we lay stuff down, we're not going to find happiness in God. And it is a lie. Sometimes God asks us to lie down huge stuff. Sometimes a lifestyle, an identity. It might be a complete overhaul of your life. It might be a relationship. And it is scary. It is hard. I had that experience years ago when I first went all in with God. I'd been teetering on the edge for such a long time, really living in the world, having a great time, and, you know, praying when I needed him. And I decided to stop and go all in, and it was a complete overhaul of my life. I left my friends, I, I left my job, and I, I just had to leave people behind. This was hard. This was people that I loved and cared about, but I just knew that I couldn't live out God's will for my life in that community. It wasn't that I didn't love them. I just couldn't be who God created me to be if I stayed here. So I moved towns. I moved careers. I went to Bible college, and it was hard, and it was lonely, and I was sad, but ultimately, it led me more to life. And in the years since, my soul has flourished in so many ways. I can say without reservation that God's way is the best way. It is always the best way. I can stand here today and say this, it is well with my soul. And that is a good feeling. Sometimes, though, we're asked to crucify much, much smaller things. And they might be things that other people think, well, I don't know why you had to give that up, or I don't know why you had to lay that down. But we know they've taken a place in our life that just isn't healthy, that they come from a desire that has an underlying want that just doesn't point us to Jesus. Historically, I have had a dysfunctional relationship with exercise. Now, exercise is a good thing. It it is good for us, but not when it takes the place of God, not when you put it on the throne, not when you become obsessed with exercising. And so that's a journey I've taken, and, and it times I've had to lay down, calm down, slow down. And that may not be your struggle, but there will be something. You know, we had a friend once who had the most amazing, long, luscious brown hair. In fact, I'm looking this morning and it's very similar to Marie Lamborn's hair. It's like she's just stepped out of a hair commercial. But this friend of ours, she actually looked like a supermodel. And she came to visit us in Christchurch She'd shaved her head down to a number one. And let me tell you, she still looked amazing, but it was a shock to the system when we saw her. And when we discussed it with her, she said that she felt like God had invited her to just let it go. And I remember Sam looking a little nervous, maybe getting a slight sweat on, worrying that God would ask me to let my hair go. Because I don't think I would have looked like her, the supermodel. I think I might have looked like an alien. And to this point, God hasn't asked me to let my hair go. But you know, while Sam's away, you never know what's going to happen. He might ask me to let it go. I don't know. 
Now, I don't really know what was going on for her, but I imagine that maybe her hair, maybe the way she looked, had, had been, or maybe her identity and her worth had been wrapped up in the way that she looked, and she felt like to lay that down was an invitation to more freedom, and she said yes. It's amazing. We had a friend in Wellington who just wanted to take a big step back from the consumer culture we all live in because she could feel that pull to shopping all the time. She loved buying new things. So she drew, just drew a line in the sand. She felt that invitation from God and she said no to shopping for a year. She didn't buy any new clothes. She obviously had to buy other things. I'm sure she bought toilet paper. But she didn't buy clothes for a whole year. And for her, that was a massive sacrifice and a challenge. But I know that it led to freedom. When I turned 40, I felt the invitation. 40, you say? She can't be possibly 40. (laughs) She is. She's more than 40. But when I turned 40, I felt the invitation to get off Facebook, to get off social media altogether. So for nearly three years, I've had no social media, apart from Sam's, which I need for a few groups. His is very, very boring. He doesn't sort of have any friends on there. He doesn't follow anyone. It's just home theatre and stuff um, about surfing, mainly, and, and Jesus, which isn't boring. But So the thing for me in Facebook was it just wasn't growing good fruit in me. I just couldn't see the good fruit. I really don't like the way it teaches us to live in this society where we need constant approval and affirmation for other, from others. And that when we do something meaningful, it doesn't seem that meaningful unless we get a lot of people commenting on it. Then it becomes meaningful. It just feels like such a false reality. And so at the beginning, I was so happy. I was having a freedom conference not being on there. It was amazing. I was trotting around on my little high horse, looking down at all the people who live in the social media world, thinking how great it was that I lived in the real world. I'm in the real world. It's so good. But then I started to feel the sacrifice because it's been painful. And I felt lonely and a bit left out at times because I'm a social person. I like people. I love people. I love seeing the new babies. I want to see the weddings. I like seeing the parties and all the family holidays. All of it. I like being part of it. But in order for me to give up the stuff I didn't like, I had to give up some of the good stuff. And so it has been hard. It has felt like a sacrifice. But But it's been good for my soul. And I feel like God has taught me so much through it about finding my worth and my identity in Him, not in my popularity. And one day I may end up back on social media. I I definitely will if my kids ever get an account because I am going to be stalking them like there's no tomorrow. But maybe if I do go back on there then, it will come from a much healthier place. Or that's the dream, that's the prayer that it will. Some of this might sound radical, but I think it's time that we made some radical decisions for Jesus. Until we come to a place where we can trust Jesus' mental maps over our own intuition and feeling, until we can come to a place where we can trust that God is a wise and loving Father who has our best intentions at heart, then we are never going to win the war against our own selfish desires, our disordered desires. We're only going to win the war if we surrender our hearts to Jesus fully and completely. If we want to enter God's kingdom, we have to trust that Jesus's way is the true guide to the full life. It's the true guide to the life that we seek. Time and again, the enemy's main deceptive idea is that we can't trust God, that we need to do it our way for our happiness, and it's just not true. 
Luke 18 tells a story of a young ruler who comes to Jesus, and he's actually doing all the right things. He knows the law, he's living by the law, and he says to Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says to him, go and sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and then you inherit treasures in heaven. Ouch, it's such a painful response. It's such a hard teaching. What would you say? What would we all say if Jesus said to us this morning, go and sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then you will have treasures in heaven? Just to be very clear, this is not a command or an invitation for everyone. But it might be an invitation for some people. Maybe if you're 18 and you don't have a lot of money and you can fit all your belongings in a backpack, you might say, yes, I'm all in for Jesus. I'm going to be radical. But when you're a little older, you've had a career, you've got some savings, you might have a retirement fund, a nice house, it's a little harder to say, yeah, I'm going to go all in. Well, the passage tells us that when the man heard it, he was very sad because he had a lot of money and he chooses not to follow Jesus. There's an obstacle between him and the full life that Jesus wants to offer. For him, the obstacle was money, but all of us have some sort of obstacle. It may not be money. It may be something completely different. The man in the story in the Bible is nameless, but he's all of us on different days, in different seasons, clinging to different things in order to keep ourselves happy. Ignatius's definition of sin is unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. So the invitation this morning is to a place of deep trust. We can trust that what God wants for us is our deepest happiness and what we actually want and need underneath the first desires, the deepest desire is actually a desire for God, for more of Him. We can stop fighting to control our lives and surrender to Him. Following God is a whole life endeavor. It's not just a little side project or a hobby. Whether you are a pastor's wife, whether you are a teacher, a doctor, an architect, a barista, whatever you do, that's what gets you out of bed in the morning. It's following Jesus. Some of you may be sitting here now and you're starting to feel that familiar feeling of conviction. And it shouldn't feel heavy, shouldn't feel shameful, shouldn't feel condemning. That's not from Jesus. But he may be convicting you of a little habit, something that he'd like you to lay down. Maybe it is an addiction to your phone. Maybe he wants you to lay that down. Maybe he's stirring something in you about a dodgy Netflix series you're secretly enjoying. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a decision. Maybe it's a work habit. Whatever it is, you know this morning that you just need to do a bit of business with God. You need to lay something down. You need to crucify the flesh so you can come more to life in him. But for others, you can't think of one thing. But here's the good news that in the coming week, there are a thousand opportunities to die to self. There are a thousand opportunities to crucify the desires of the flesh and put others first. If you are a parent, there are a thousand opportunities, probably before you get home from church. (laughs) If you are a husband or a wife or you're in a relationship, there are a thousand opportunities to deny yourself 
and put someone else first. If you have a friend or a flatmate, or if you know another person, there are a thousand opportunities to die to yourself, your desires, and put someone else first. If you have a body, then you have a thousand opportunities to deny yourself, crucify your desires, and put someone else first. Being a disciple is about that moment when you have the decision to make between the flesh and the spirit. It's a decision between the flesh and the spirit. This is our life as a disciple of Jesus. Deciding between picking up your phone and disengaging with the people around you or putting your phone down and engaging wholeheartedly in love. It's a decision between putting away your PlayStation remote, not having a late dysfunctional evening and going to bed at a good time so you can serve the people around you, love your family and carve out some time for Jesus. It's this decision between spending all your money on new toys and new clothes or putting some of your money aside so you can help the last and the lost. It's this decision between cooking your family a meal instead of giving them wheat bix and that is my struggle. Every night that's my struggle. Can I be bothered? Do I have the energy for this meal? These are the deaths I'm talking about. So many opportunities. Following Jesus is a thousand small deaths that lead to one big life. And just to clarify, he is not asking us to give us our sense of give up up our sense of happiness or deep fulfillment. He's asking us to find it in him. He's asking us to find it in his way of self-sacrificial love. I want to finish with a story from Matthew 13:44. Says this: The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. So Jesus tells this story as a picture of what it looks like to go all in for God. So in Jesus's day, if you had money, it was gold, and you didn't have a bank that you could invest it in, so often people would bury it in the ground to keep it safe. But then if you died or if something happened to you, the treasure would be lost. So this guy is in this field, and he comes across this treasure. What a moment, an awesome day. But alas, he doesn't own the field, which is a bit of a downer. But in another turn of events, the field is for sale. How exciting. So he races home. He sells everything he has. Now, I've read that a lot, of, a lot of times and not really thought about it. But imagine this. He sells the animals that he raised from birth and that he loves. He sells the clothes that his mum made him before she passed away. He sells the house that he and his dad built together. And then he sells everything else he has. Every sentimental little thing, he sells it. And he buys the field. And when he gets the field, he gets the treasure. And it is a moment of pure joy. Now, was it a sacrifice for him to buy the field? Yes, it was a sacrifice that he felt. But in the end, he got so much more than he gave up. He was rich beyond imagination. No matter what we have to give or let go of or lay down, we get far more in return. In the economy of the kingdom, we cannot outgive God. We just cannot outgive God. He is the great giver. He is God our provider. 
we can trust that following Jesus is hard, but it is so good. And with every little victory we have over the world, the flesh, and the devil, every time we say yes to crucifying our selfish desires so we can live in the desire of the Spirit, we feel more and more alive. Jesus brings us more and more to life. And, and more and more, his love and peace and joy become our experienced reality. And that's good news. So we're going to head into a time of communion now. And I would love this to be a moment where you do some business with God. Maybe there's a big thing. Maybe it's just a little thing. Maybe it's a recommitment to trying to tune in in those moments where there's the battle between the spirit and the flesh. Let's not leave here without doing some business with God. So let's stand to our feet. I'd love to invite the worship team to come. And I'd love to invite you to the table this morning. It's in view of his sacrifice that we come. In view of his sacrifice, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. So I'd love to invite you to the table this morning. Ramon, if you've got the prayer Could you pop that up on the screen? Thank you. The table has been prepared, not of the church, but that of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's made ready for those who love the Lord a little and those who would like to love him more. All are invited to take a seat at this table, the certain, the uncertain, the faith-filled, the doubters. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have followed faithfully, and you who have tried and failed. There's always a space for you at this table. Come not because of your own goodness, but because of the goodness of God. Come and meet the risen Christ. Come and eat from the tree of life rediscovered. Open your heart to Jesus and receive the salvation of God. For Jesus is the bread of life, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. So come, friends, in your own time. Your right, my left, is the gluten-free.
God, we want to say yes this morning to your invitation, however it looks for us, God. We want to say yes, and it looks so different for each one of us. Help us tune in this morning with what you're calling us to. Thank you, God, that we follow you in your rhythm of death, burial, and resurrection. God, how we long for that part of resurrection. Help us find it in you. Help us find fullness and life in you. Lord, we want to lay down the other stuff, God. We want to let go. Give us the strength to let go. Help us trust you. Help us trust you, Lord, with the things that we cling to. Lead us into more life this morning. And move us, Lord, from a place of shame and guilt to a place of grace and freedom. Let's just finish this morning singing that chorus a couple more times. Let's just give it to him. So I just want to finish this morning with a couple of invitations. If you feel like you have decided to lay something down or recommit something to Jesus this morning, awesome. And here's the invitation. Tell somebody. Maybe the person next to you, maybe someone in your huddle, maybe someone in your home church, maybe someone in your family. If you don't have anyone to tell, come and tell me. 
I would love to know. This is the beauty of Christian community. We keep each other accountable and we cheer each other on. We cheer each other on and when we fall over, we help each other get back up. So if you've made a new commitment, let's get alongside each other. And we can only do that if you tell someone. And the other invitation is, if this morning you feel like it's a struggle to give up something or it's a struggle to go deeper with Jesus, it's a struggle to crucify the flesh, then I would love to pray for you or one of our team would love to pray for you. So I invite you as we finish the service to just come up. It takes courage, but it's worth it. Come up and sit up here in the front row and we'll pray for you. So be blessed as you go this morning. And I'm just going to ask the worship team to just continue to tinkle along in the background so we can just stay in this place of worship if you want to. If you're not quite finished doing business, stay here. If you've got small kids you need to pick up, please head on out and relieve all our wonderful leaders in the kids' church. Be blessed, friends. Have a wonderful week. And uh, good luck in the struggle against the flesh and the spirit. Be blessed. Bye.